0: Today, we are closing out our series in the life of Abraham. And we have been looking at what it looks like to walk by faith and not by sight. And today, particularly, we end on this note. And I think a very fitting note, given the nature of living living in a fallen world. It's that for God's people, there is always hope in the midst of heartache. For God's people, there is always hope in the midst of heartache. We began in Genesis chapter 12, as God had, by his sovereign grace, came, he came to Abram and he called him out of Ur, a pagan man in a pagan land. And here in Genesis chapter 23, we end, at least for now, the life of Abraham. This chapter and then the next couple that follow They function in a way to draw the life of Abraham to a close. And then it shifts to the the new focus, which is his son, Isaac. So go ahead and look there in Genesis chapter 22, actually. And you see the shift already beginning to happen there in verse 23. You have this. In 20 to 24, you have this genealogy, basically, which is told in story form. But there the shift happens as he talks about Bethuel. And this man, this descendant uh, of Abraham's brother, he gives birth, he fathers, his wife gives birth to a woman named Rebecca, Isaac's future wife. So already we're, we're left leaving sort of Abraham uh, behind and then moving forward to what will come of this promised seed and then in 23 as you as we see today the shift is also partially accomplished as we look at sarah's death and then her burial sarah was abraham's wife of many many years and today we see that she dies and then abraham buries her so let's go ahead and look first at the simple and sad fact that sarah dies now keep in mind too this, this year we're going to deal with the particulars the particulars of a burial and the particulars of a death, but in the larger scheme of things from Genesis chapter 12 to 23, and then from Genesis chapter one to the end of revelation, what you have here is God showing for his people, what it looks like to walk by faith and not by sight in Genesis chapter 23, particularly in the midst of heartache and potentially unfulfilled promises. Now, death is always a difficult thing to deal with. So, whether you recognize that your mother your grandparent maybe your sibling you know maybe they have lived a long and full and good and joyful life or whether you think that they have lived a life full of pain and regret so regardless death is difficult Either way, you've got to part with a dear and loved one. And in the midst of it, you know, you end up thinking about all the things that could have been and all the things that should have been. And then all your own mistakes as you see this person whom you love is soon going to be buried into the ground. You begin thinking about those types of things, reevaluating life and trying to find meaning for your own. Sarah certainly lived a long life. Go ahead and look there. At verses one and two of chapter 23. It says there that Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in, so it probably means that he went into the tent where she was, had already died. And he goes in there to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, some people think that for the Christian life, there is no place for mourning. There is no place for sadness or weeping or grieving. But that is so far from the Bible's teaching about what the Christian's emotional life. The characters of the Bible, they have emotional lives. Uh, I mean, this very well-known and very competent theologian named B.B. Warfield, uh, who used to be a professor at Princeton, Theolo- uh, Princeton Seminary when they were actually evangelical. Now they, they totally disregard that evangelical category but bb warfield he wrote this whole essay about the emotional life of jesus christ and it's a fantastic essay and he talks about specifically that point where jesus weeps and why he weeps and what are the concerns of this king who who who, who grieves and who's sad here you see david for example he is said to flood his bed with tears so all of you stuffers, all of you folks who like to stuff your emotions down in your heart and not deal with them. You're uh, David, the king who foreshadows Jesus. He floods his bed with tears. And then our great savior, we know, too, cries as well. We see lament. We see sadness. We see despair. We see Paul telling the Christians in, in the book of Thessalonians that, that we as Christians do indeed mourn. But we mourn in a way that's fundamentally different than the non-Christian. We mourn with hope, it says in 1 Corinthians 4. That's the manner there. The fact that we do is not in question. We ought to. But the manner in which we do, that's what should be different here for the Christian. As one who believes that Jesus got up from the dead. And there is hope there in the midst of mourning we know that there would have been a lot for abraham to mourn over i mean just being just imagine being married to a spouse for 60 plus years so not only are you looking back over let's say 60 years of life of the individual but you look back at 60 years of life shared with this individual what is it like to remember all of those things mistakes joys So in mourning the loss of a loved one, you know, oftentimes we mourn our own mistakes as we interacted with that very loved one. And they clearly had mistakes, Abraham and Sarah. They went down, were visiting new cities, and Abraham feared that the people would kill him in order that those people would take Sarah. So so they come up with this idea, and they say that they got to lie and say that, no, she's not my wife, she is my sister. And then things are sort of like, You know, Abraham fumbles Sarah away and these nations take her into their own house. If I were Abraham, I would regret that. I might mourn over that. But if I were Abraham, I might also cherish the joys shared. Lots of joys. That one time when God came to eat with us. you, You guys remember that? Genesis, earlier on. God went down. He met this struggling woman in the midst of her struggle who she was living by sight and not by faith. And yet God comes to her and eats a meal with her. And so if I were Abraham, I'd say, you remember that time when God came to eat with us? You remember that time when God said that you were going to have a baby and what you did, you laughed at him. And you said that you were as, uh, you were old and you said that I was as good as dead. You know, you you you'd celebrate those joys and even your mistakes in the midst of them. Then you celebrate, of course, the fact that The Lord did exactly what he said he was going to do, that he had actually given them Isaac. They were a blessed couple. Or were they? Some of you guys, you might look at this death here and you might actually wonder, really? She was really blessed? If you think about it, what drove her and her husband's life? All of their wanderings. What, what drove that? It was Genesis chapter 12. The fact that God had drawn near to them and had given them promises that I will bless you with people, land, and blessing. You will have land, lots of descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. You'll have all of that. And you see all of this land? I give all of that to you. But here she lies on her deathbed. And if we know this book of Genesis as we've been looking at, we know that there are, with our human eyes, so many things left undone. You guys recognize that? She dies, and her, her death is summarized here in one verse. One verse. All of a sudden, she lives 120 years, and then she dies. God had promised that their descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, right? A great people. It is true that their offspring, that their offspring would be named through Isaac but he is let's say the first drop of the ocean of the pacific and so if you're struggling to live by faith and not by sight you look at this drop and you say how exactly is the lord going to make an ocean out of this one little tiny drop you can imagine taking your kids to the beach and say i'll give you one drop and that's your you can play with that enjoy that one little drop you take the blessing promise god also promised them that someone from their line would be a blessing to the nations but how exactly do you have nations or a people if your very own son has not even married yet at this point in time isaac is probably 37 years old and unmarried imagine sarah you know typical middle eastern woman driven by an honor lives in an honor shame culture which many of us are from She's expressing her dying wish, as many people do on their deathbeds. Isaac, why aren't you married yet? No pressure, Isaac, right? Someone from your line, Isaac, will become the blessing to the nations. But until you get married and until you have children, it is not a done deal, at least from man's perspective. I mean, imagine dying or at least approaching death, and you having uh, one of your very last wishes on the forefront of your mind is that your son would get married, but he isn't. And so you have to close your eyes and rest forever, recognizing that you will never see that fulfillment, at least in your lifetime. You take the, the last promise of land. God promised that Abraham and Sarah would, that they would inherit a land. But verse one is thick, thick, with disappointment it is like really as we read this it's like sticking a needle to your kid's balloon on purpose and seeing them burst up in tears sarah died in the land of canaan but yet she is owner of none of it i mean imagine dying recognizing that you'll inherit this land but you never see any of it you have the promise But you will never see its fulfillment, at least in your own lifetime. You need to lay your eyes, close your eyes and lie down and sleep and never see that fulfilled. Some of us, for some reason, we look at this and we think, woe is Sarah. A recipient of the promises, but she never sees their fulfillment in her lifetime. And perhaps that's made worse by the very fact that the place where you die, okay, is a monument could potentially stand as a monument to things left undone that's the name things left undone that's hebron it was the first place where abraham and sarah settled after god said go walk the land go ahead and walk through all of it its length its breadth walk all of it survey it i give it all to you and it says there in 13 verse chapter 13 verse 18 abraham and sarah built an altar to the lord and worshipped So here Sarah has to close her eyes and chances are they are in proximity, the same vicinity that this altar is in, where once they banked on this promise, God says, I give you all of the land. And here Sarah dies as a permanent sojourner, owns none of it. Abraham knows this. Abraham recognizes that the land is his by God's promise, yet he owns none of it. And instead of being an owner of it, he merely sojourns through it. For a moment, uh, okay, let's step back. You guys, I mentioned how the book of Genesis, in fact, the first five books of the Old Testament, were written by Moses. And he's writing to the Israelites as they came out of Egypt. So they're sojourners, right? And here Moses is writing the story about their great ancestor, their, their great-grandfather Abraham, and their great-grandmother Sarah. And they, too, are sojourners. Israel had just suffered 400 years of slavery under Egypt. Many of them, at least the ones who believed, <clears throat> were inheritors of the promise. But they too would never see their fulfillment, at least the older generation. But they can identify here, the Israelites and Abraham and Sarah. And we too can identify as sojourners, wandering through this land and going to the next and it's Abraham's sojourner status that sort of undergirds the rest of this passage. And we, too, can identify with him. And the Bible calls us exiles, 1 Peter says. 1 Peter calls us exiles. They're just dispersed all over the world, following our Lord and Savior. He even says that we are indeed sojourners in 1 Peter 2, 11. Sojourning through this land, heading to the next, following Christ, the sojourner who had no place to lay his head. This was his temporary home. And we too know that this is just our temporary home as death reminds us of that all the time. In this passage, the whole experience of Sarah's death and then Abraham's mourning of it is summarized in just those verses that we read. And as we leave sarah's death we go to something that seems almost out of place right so if you've been reading genesis chapter 23 in your devotions which i encourage you to and then next week you might read psalm chapter 1 for your devotions in preparation for oscar's sermon there if you have been reading genesis chapter 23 you know that the next portion here where abraham negotiates a burial place seems so out of place from the rest of uh 23 You have this great emotion, and you're wondering, like, what did Sarah think as she lied on her deathbed? And what did Abraham think as he had to go and bury her? But instead, none of that is really mentioned, at least in the Old Testament. Instead, it moves over to this negotiation. But we have to understand that this negotiation actually, the tension in the story, actually sets us up for verses 17 to the end. 17 to 20. So verses 3 to 16... That's all just set up for what comes in 17 to 20. That's uh, the key value here of this portion of this story. I think it's here, this negotiation for this burial place, it's here to emphasize the sovereign providence of God, how he is faithful. And hopefully I'll, I'll make that clear. From our perspective, we see too that even through heartache, there is always hope in a faithful God. So let's look first at this negotiation of this burial place. We saw that Sarah died. Now we look at Abraham's negotiation for a burial place for Sarah's body. That's three to 16. Verse three. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites. It's their land after all. I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of sight. He says here that he is a sojourner and a foreigner. So he has this recognition that he does not own the land. And in most situations, there was no way that he could even buy the land. That just wasn't provided for a sojourner who's just wandering through. But nevertheless, you see that he asks for property. He asks for property. So this is just a straight up negotiation. Two Middle Easterners doing business with one another. And this is just standard practice for, uh, you know, the majority of the world today. I mean, bargaining exists. It's standard practice for all you Craigslisters. You know, you know that when you approach something, one time I bought this, uh, you know, couch and a love seat, and I would not negotiate with the guy. And he was like, come on, man, this is Craigslist. So I wasn't operating off of the uh, proper perspectives off of Craigslist negotiations. But, you know, many cultures around the world, we continue to negotiate And this negotiating comes with all of the politeness for the appropriate situation. Look there in verse five. The Hittites answered Abraham. So Abraham asked for property. This is what they say. Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. Now, that's interesting because that's not property. That's like, hey, have have a tomb that I already have. But I'm not going to give you any property. He says, none of us will uphold, withhold you from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. So here they're aiming low. Abraham asked for property. They say, I don't think so. I have a tomb. He is a sojourner, after all. And then you have Abraham's counteroffer. Verse 7, Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites. Here he's just showing respect the people of the land and he said to them if you are willing that i should bury my dead out of my sight hear me and entreat for me ephron the son of zohar that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns it is at the end of his field for the full price let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place so here abraham is a skilled bargain hunter in the presence of of, let's say all of the leaders of the town he says Look, I entreat you all. Give me. Ask him for his cave to give to me, and I will purchase it. And, and it's even at the it's even at the end of his property. So I'm not even going to be in the way of his business ventures. And Abraham here, he's clearly willing to purchase the cave, and he basically asks for an irrevocable sale. A Final sale. That's what the word full price refers to. He says, Look, entreat him, and I'll give him full price for it. Closed, done deal. So he's giving away his cards here. Everybody knows exactly what he wants. And of course, for the landowner who's looking to make more money or fill his pockets with more cash, a coin, in their case, you know, clumps of silver, the bargaining continues. And Ephron, he's interested in this. I know, as Ephron, that Abraham's already emotionally involved here. He wants to bury his dead, right? So emotions are attached to the sale. I have the upper hand. I also know because he wants this to be a final sale, meaning that I can charge him a crazy price and he's going to pay for it. Because he's the one offering it. So I can just name my price and he's going to give it to me. So this catches Ephron's attention. Look there in 10. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites. So, so here Ephron himself rises up. Abraham makes, he says, look, you guys entreat Ephron. And then Ephron himself comes to the table. He says this in the hearing of all the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. So Ephron, I think, knowing that he has the upper hand, basically says, look, if you want the cave, you've got to take the whole stinking field. You've got to take the cave uh, or the field where the cave lies. And in the sight of everyone, I give you that for final sale. Verse 12, and Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Okay, Abraham hasn't even heard the price. He just says, look, you name it, I give it to you. Ephron, he can charge whatever he wants to, and Abraham will slap down that silver, and the deal will be done. And then you have Ephron's response. My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Meaning... This huge, massive price, one would assume, one thinks. What's that between you and me of people people of means? 400 shekels of silver, bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight's current among the merchants. Now we don't have the weight's current among the merchants. So really we don't know. But the way the passage reads, it really does seem like Ephron is charging him a ridiculous price for this field because he knows just how much Abraham wants it. Now, what do we learn from this as we seek to apply this to our own lives? We could apply the text about how Abraham's bargaining skills should affect our bargaining practice, but that would be to miss the whole point of the story. Once again, verses 3 to 16, this negotiation, though it seems like mere business... And, and almost, uh, you know, unapplicable to our lives. It actually can apply to our lives because it sets us up for 17 to 20. The negotiation, the back and forth tells the story of how the prophet of God, Abraham, and our father in the faith came to legally possess a peace, small though it was, of the promised land and how God orchestrated it all. Because God is behind his own promises, Right. And so here you have this lengthy negotiation that really goes to show how God is unfolding his promises to Abraham even after Sarah's death, even in the midst of Sarah's death and all the heartache that came with it. Look at 17. So we saw the tension of this field. There's this negotiation. Now we see the resolve here in 17 to 20. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over that is deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. The language reflects other Hittite real estate contracts of the day. Believe it or not. I mean, we actually know. And it included even the foliage of the house And some here today are even recognizing that current contracts deal with the foliage of the house. Verse 19, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife. Now listen to this, listen to this. In the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre. That is Hebron in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. You guys remember in the beginning, verse two, look there in verse two. It says Sarah dies in the land of Canaan, but, the, but yet they, they own none of it, right? Now at the end of the chapter, after this negotiation has taken place, Abraham buries his wife in a property that he now owns. And God reminds us it is in the land of Canaan. This story helps us see, once again, the faithfulness of God. Just as God is in the business of making promises, so he is in the business of fulfilling them all, and all of them by his grace. This is a story about Abraham, as I mentioned, but it is also more more important for our salvation, a story about our gracious God, and how he is faithful to everything he says, because he himself is faithful I mean, what a faithfully gracious God we have. God, in his grace, calls Abraham out of Ur and graciously promises that Abraham will have a people, a land, that someone from his line will be a blessing. And even when Abraham and Sarah jeopardize the promise, God faithfully protects Sarah. First from Pharaoh and then from Abimelech. Where they are fearful, God is steady and confident. Even when Sarah comes up with this grand plan to force God's plan into motion, saying, Here, Abraham, sleep with my concubine, or sorry, sleep with my maidservant, God doesn't cast Sarah and Abraham off and start all over again. He reaffirms his promises to them, showing them just how serious he is about his own covenant. He cuts a covenant with them. When we are so weak willed, God is so resolved. And now with that same grace, with that same steadiness, with that same confidence, with that same determination and resolve to fulfill all of his promises, God gives Abraham a piece of the promised land. But what is it that set this immediate fulfillment of the promise into motion? What was it that set this immediate fulfillment piece of the promise this fulfillment into motion it was the death of abraham's loved one all of that accompanied by heartache and difficulty and trial great emotion it is true that so much was left undone okay it is true that so much was left undone as sarah laid herself to sleep she died being the owner of God's promises, but not having seen their fulfillment in her lifetime. Now, we as Christians just need to recognize that. As inheritors of the great promise, we will not see all of its fulfillment in our lifetime. And we just have to recognize that fact. It is true that there is so much left undone and Unfinished. Abraham was promised a people, a multitude, but Sarah closed her eyes, her rest, having only seen one person. Abraham and Sarah were promised that one from their line would be a blessing to that multitude, but she never saw any grandchildren. They were to inherit a land, but just as she wandered Canaan, a sojourner, so she died in Canaan, a sojourner. Now, sometimes we know what that's like to want something that God has promised us. Now, we don't share the same promises as Abraham and Sarah. We don't stand as the great-grandfather of the faith or the great-grandmother of the faith, but yet we share so many promises. Salvation, forgiveness, freedom from guilt, freedom from pain, eternal life with Jesus, where we are fully reconciled to man and we get to experience our reconciliation fully with Jesus Christ, with God himself. Now, some of you guys know what that's like. You want to see something so badly. But there's great fear recognizing that you might have to die. Recognizing or knowing that you will never see these fulfillments in your lifetime. Maybe you think there's so much unfinished, just like Sarah did. My child never got married and I never saw grandkids and I never got to see us own any land. Every single one of those things was true for Sarah. Every single one of those things. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that those things are are unimportant or that they shouldn't have had Sarah's attention. They should have had Sarah's attention, but not in a way that led to discouragement or despair, thinking that God is not faithful faithful to his own promises. It is true that she never saw the fulfillment of the promises in her own lifetime, but that does not mean that she never saw them, that she never had them, that she never met them or hoped in them because she did what is that like to 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 recognize that there are there is a fulfillment of my of the promises i don't see them but yet i have them turning your bibles to hebrews chapter 11 we've gone to this chapter a number of times the the nickname for this chapter is the hall of faith and in it the author of the hebrews this letter Just lists person after person after person of folks who had believed by faith and had acted on that faith. They saw the promises. They had them, though, and they acted. And listen to what it says about Abraham and Sarah. Look there in verse 8. Now, keep in mind here, these folks are examples to us. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age of, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. But you look at the next verse there. It says, these all died in, what does it say? Not, not discouragement. Discouragement. It doesn't say that they they died without hope or they somehow despaired because they couldn't see everything that God had promised to them, fulfilled in their lifetime. It says these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They were living by faith and not by sight. And so the promises were theirs, even though they hadn't received the things promised, yet they died in faith because but having seen them and greeted them from afar. She did see them. She knew them. So so if you look back and think back to the one time when God and his men came to eat a, a meal with Sarah and Abraham, just as real as they had, they greeted God. So she saw the promises from afar. She saw them and she greeted them. The realities of those promises made real to her As she lived her life by faith and not by sight. She greeted the reality of these promises. So she therefore can say, let me lay down to sleep wherever. Because I know that when I wake, I wake up in my father's mansion having every promise fulfilled. What an encouragement. She receives the promises and even though she didn't see their fulfillment in her lifetime, she sees them and greets them from afar. And to her, they were as good as fulfilled because God is faithful because God is the one who stands behind all of those promises and that's what her burial is a witness to and so christian if when you face death now so, to some of you guys you might think that that's going to be really a, a far way off but we do not know if we have tomorrow so really this should be our Uh, our reality here greeting and saying hello serving the promises and their fulfillment recognizing that they are all fulfilled in jesus christ that's what your death should witness to that's what sarah's death witnessed to i can die a sojourner
1: not owning any land
0: and that's okay because god is preparing for me a heavenly city By God's grace, by the time Abraham buries her body in the cave, he is indeed a legitimate owner of at least a part of Canaan. He possesses a symbolic token of the heavenly city. You guys realize that God here is going to bolster Abraham's faith through this suffering. He becomes an owner of the promised land, or at least a part of it, through this great mourning. Through this great sadness of his very wife's death. Our great grandmother's bones and her burial teach us about faith, doesn't it? She saw and she greeted. But not only hers, not only her death testifies to this, the faithfulness of God. So do all of the patriarchs. Abraham's bones would be added to that cave in Canaan, Isaac's bones and then his wife Rebecca's bones would be added to that cave. In Canaan Jacob's bones and then his first wife Leah's bones would be added to that cave and even Joseph even though he's in embalmed and well he dies and then is embalmed in Egypt he has the Israelites vow to take his body and lay it where in that same cave and why is it Genesis 50 says he wants them the Israelites to do it to carry his coffin and his bones back to this cave because he knows that god was faithful to his promises he says that god is going to come and lead you out into the promised land so you take my bones and you bury him in that cave it's incredible you realize that their deaths are not a testimony that heart hurt and heartache have the last laugh but a testimony that god is god and a testimony of great faith in the faithful god so don't be discouraged if you're tempted to. If, you, if you're tempted to do self-pity, don't be discouraged by the death of this woman. Be encouraged by her. And then by Abraham and by all the patriarchs. One commentator said this, by leaving their bones in Canaan, the patriarchs, that is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, gave their last witness to the promise. The very last thing, their dying wish, is to be a declaration. Their, their dying action is a declaration that God is faithful to his promises it says that all of them gave their last witness to the promise this is what john calvin says he says for while the corpses themselves were silent and speechless the tomb cried out that death was no obstacle to their taking possession of their inheritance Incredible. He says, for while, the corpses, their bodies and their bones were silent and speechless. The tomb itself cried out that death was no obstacle to their possession, taking possession of their inheritance. The tomb itself. Stood as a memorial that God is faithful to his promises that he provides. I mean, how is that for hope in the midst of heartache and death? As some of you may know that death is coming. and might come soon. Friends, we all die. And we don't know when our deaths will come. But what will those closest around you say about your death? If you were to be inserted in that Hebrews 11, and these all died in blank, what would your, what would your closest friends say? What, those who actually know your hopes and your dreams and maybe your regrets and everything like that, these all died in Regret? These all died without hope. I mean, maybe you know this great suffering and you, you, for some reason, have struggled and struggled without hope. Or will they say that these all died in faith, knowing that the Lord will take care of his loved ones? That's the legacy that Sarah leaves for us, guys. And the Bible calls us to remember these witnesses, our faithful grandfathers and this faithful grandmother, and their faith and that's supposed to lift us up and spur us on in our own present walk of faith as we walk by faith and not by sight that's why in hebrews chapter 12 wouldn't we'll turn there after listing all of this great number and i pray that you are added to that number i pray that i'm added to that number when i die that at least in the memory of my friends and family that they would be able to say jeremy live by faith and not by sight And let's say my wife might be able to tell my children, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and I pray that I'm in there, and I pray that you guys are in there. He says, let us lay aside every weight, every sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Christ, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Those of you who are wondering why I'm emotional, it's because my mother's death was not too long ago. And she is in that cloud of witnesses. To conclude... What should encourage us is that Abraham and Sarah, and we Christians today, look at that same Christ. From Abraham and Sarah, they were looking forward to Jesus, the one who fulfills the Abrahamic covenant, the one from Abraham's line who would be a blessing to the nations. And we as Christians look back towards Jesus, that same Jesus who has blessed us by dying on the cross for our sins. And in Christ on the cross, we see God's ultimate display of faithfulness. Now, okay, some of you guys might be thinking, okay, what is with this land stuff? You know, maybe you're visiting with us and you're non-Christian. What's with this land stuff? Uh, This land, as we see in the New Testament, is heaven. That's what they're hoping in this heavenly reality whose builder is God, who has his foundations in the heavenlies. But really, your ultimate need is not that land of heaven. Your ultimate need where you see God's faithfulness is in Christ reconciling you to the Father. Where God promises from Genesis chapter 3 that even though we have sinned against God and earned for ourselves condemnation, He promises with absolute faithfulness, if you turn and repent and believe and you turn from your sins and you believe on me, you will be saved. And that's the faithfulness that we see of God as He gives His Son to die on the cross and to stand in our stead. He takes our sin upon himself. He takes the wrath that we deserved so that everyone who turns and believes in him for salvation, recognizing that he is the creator, the provider, the sustainer of all things, and that he alone is God and that he has claims on our lives and he owns us. He says nothing will hinder you, no matter how bad you are. If you turn and you believe, you will be saved and so even though he gives that promise in genesis 3 that one from the woman's line would crush evil the serpent that is the devil and even though he waits thousands of years to fulfill his promise you see his faithfulness in it all the question then is when it comes to this greatest need which is not the land of heaven but it is the king of this land of heaven the question is is do you submit to this king you see God's faithfulness here on the cross. You also see your greatest need to be reconciled to God. So have you turned and believed? If not, repent and believe and know, and you see the faithfulness of God to forgive. In God's sovereign providence, God decided to bring about the ultimate fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant in Christ. Genesis 12 to 23, That it all points to Jesus genesis or revelation all points to jesus galatians 3 16 reads now the promises were made to abraham and to his offspring he's just referring back to everything we've learned here it does not say and to offsprings it refers uh, referring to many but referring to one the promises were made to abraham and to his offspring that is one and paul says who is christ Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He is the offspring to bless the nations because his salvation has come to the nations. As we can just look around here in a multicultural church. It's come to all the nations and people stream to him no matter the culture or class. And his word calls us to the land of eternal rest where he is king. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we give you great praise knowing that you are our faithful God. You are a consistent God. And just thinking about those two characteristics, your faithfulness, your consistency, Lord, we acknowledge that we are not. We might be able to say that we do one thing But yet we know that so many times we struggle even to want to do that thing, let alone do that thing. But you, Lord, whatever comes out of your mouth, you fulfill. So, Lord, we praise you for being a faithful God, our faithful God. Father, we pray that that characteristic of yours, your very being, would be an encouragement to us as we walk by faith and not by sight. We pray, Lord, that Abraham and Sarah would be great examples to us in this walk of faith Help us, God, by your spirit's power. When we are tempted to give up, when we are tempted to give up the race, to walk the other way, Lord, we pray that these, this great cloud of witnesses, all those who have walked by faith, would be an encouragement to us to throw off sin and eagerly pursue the face of Jesus Christ, who, in his own faithfulness, died on the cross for our sin where we deserve death lord give us that same faithfulness we pray and lord we do ask that we as your people would be a blessing to the nations as we hold out the gospel of jesus christ we pray that you would do these things for your great name in your name we pray amen